now listen to the Schuster Express on 1252 Sports Chicago. And now for your host, David Schuster. And a catchy new open, and we got to thank, thank uh, Mike Murkowski for that. And welcome in to the latest edition of my little humble podcast. I am David Schuster, and hopefully in just a few minutes, I'll be joined by a former teammate of mine, a longtime teammate and friend, Nick Shepkowski, who I worked with at The Score for many, many years. He is currently the managing editor of Fighting Irish Wire, so everything regarding Notre Dame, and we'll certainly talk to him about the Irish and their loss yesterday to Cincinnati um, but uh, hopefully he'll join us. We sort of lost him here in uh, the technical ozone, but hopefully he'll join us in just a couple of moments. But how could we not start talking about the Chicago Bears today? And I heard somewhere else on my way home uh, as I'm stuck in traffic where you and by the way, maybe you won't be stuck in traffic when you finally play out in Arlington Heights in about four or five years down the road. But when you leave Soldier Field, even if it's two hours after the game, which it was for me, you're still stuck in traffic. But anyway, I heard somebody else on the radio say it's a week-to-week league in the NFL, and it truly is. I mean, last week the Bears were beyond horrendous, and and Fat Mike, who's uh, in the background here, he was in attendance at Cleveland, and I know he was totally aggravated with what he saw in Cleveland uh, last Sunday. But today uh, the Bears played much better, obviously, but of course they also played absolutely one of the worst teams in the NFL on an annual basis. And the Detroit Lions are actually the best tonic for any ills that any football team can have. You get at least, if you're in the Bears division, you get at least one tonic, a shot of tonic, playing the Lions, uh, at least one. And a lot of times you get two shots because you play them twice a season. And the Lions are just a stupid team, really a dumb team. Early in the game, and the Bears play started off doing the right thing. I mean, obviously everybody knew that Justin Fields was going to be the quarterback. They announced that last night. And you had to say to yourself, and you also had to say to yourself, hopefully Bill Lazor is going to be calling plays, which he did. And Matt Nagy uh, finally admitted that after the game. And then he said, don't ask me any more about this because I'm not going to talk about it anymore the rest of the season. But thankfully, Bill Lazor uh, called the plays today. And wisely on his part, he ran the football early in the game. I mean, you got a rookie quarterback and Justin Fields only making his second start. Um, And you want to take pressure off him by running the football. And if there's anything that this patchwork offensive line can do, it's opening some holes, potentially. Uh, What happened with Les Bob? Uh, He's in the ozone also. Anyway, um, they they can open some holes, and they did. And Montgomery is very quick through the line. And so uh, Laser ran him left, right, and up the middle. And he had a lot of yardage, and the Bears and uh, Matt Nagy decided. And this is the good thing about Matt Nagy not calling plays anymore. Now it gets him more involved in some of the things that a head coach should do, like deciding if you want the football initially or deferring. And I can't even remember another time that Matt Nagy won the coin toss and decided to take the football. And wisely he did because he wanted to get the offense in gear. And also, he also wanted to uh, take advantage. He said, you know, that there were storm clouds brewing and it never did rain, by the way, at Soldier Field. It rained on the way home, of course. But it didn't rain at Soldier Field during the game. And he wanted to put some points up on the board. So it worked 
worked out. He ran left, he ran right, he ran up the middle with Montgomery, and Montgomery scored a touchdown, and it was 7 nothing Bears. Now, the Lions moved the ball on their opening possession, and of course, they turned the ball over because they're the Lions. They're a stupid-ass team. The Bears took advantage of that. They scored another touchdown. It was 14 nothing. By the way, that turnover by the Lions is one of the all-timers. Uh, apparently, um, as Jared Goff was coming up to the line of scrimmage, he was going to call an audible or he was going to change the play at the line of scrimmage or do something, and the center snapped it. It went off. I mean, it was talk about a perfect ricochet. It went off Goff's knee and went over the line of scrimmage to Bilal Nichols, and I thought it initially was an interception, but in reality, uh, the true uh, calling of the play, it's a fumble because uh, it went off his knee, so it deflected off his body right across the line of scrimmage into Nichols' hands, and it turned out to be uh, a fumble recovery, but only the Lions can do something that stupid. Then the Lions got down 14 nothing as Montgomery scored his second touchdown of the day, and uh, it, the, the Lions got down deep in Bears territory. They got down to fourth and goal at the five-yard line. All right, listen, a lot of teams will, will try and put some points up on the board, maybe go for a touchdown, but not at that point of the game. And so very dumb on their part. They went for it fourth and goal at the five-yard line and came up short, so then the Bears got the ball back. What the Lions should have done, not once but twice in the game, they should have kicked a field goal. They didn't kick it then, and they didn't kick it late in the game when uh, they turned the ball over yet again. Um, so, again, the Lions are just a, a dumbass team. Montgomery, unfortunately, left the contest late with some kind of knee injury, his left knee, and there have been some reports, none of them verified, obviously. You're not going to find out what his deal is at least for one day and probably three days because that's just the way it works. You know, you have to have the swelling go down, and then you'll find out what the deal is. But one of the reports from Rap Sheet uh, says that it do does not appear to be a major injury that it appears uh, that it might be a sprain of his MCL. Listen, that's that's serious enough, but it's not season-ending. It could be two weeks, it could be four weeks, it could be five weeks, if indeed that is the case. They'll obviously do an MRI. They might have even done one already, but if not by tomorrow, they will. And so you'll have some kind of announcement either tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday at the absolute latest. But I think it's pretty safe to say, and because he was in a lot of pain going off the field into the locker room, that you're not going to see David Montgomery at least for a couple of weeks, if not longer. He had 23 rushes for 106 yards on the day, a couple of touchdowns. Damian Williams came in at some juncture. He also scored a touchdown, but unfortunately, he suffered an injury. It was called a quad injury. And so, listen, the Bears might go into this next game at Vegas next Sunday afternoon without either of their top two running backs. And I don't know who's on their practice squad or if they're going to sign somebody off, off you know, the trash heap or something like that. But as of right now, pending on how well, uh, not Montgomery, because I think he'll be out for a while, but Williams, and Williams ran the ball well himself. Like I said, he got into the end zone once himself. Uh, he might be out for a while. So I don't know what they're going to do going forward running the football. Fields was 11 of 17 for 215 yards. He did have the one interception, but it wasn't his fault. It was a deflected pass that went into the arms of uh, one of the defenders for the Lions. Uh, Fields started out a game four of four. Then the rest of the first half, he wasn't really that good. I think he was like two of six after that four of four start. But then on that last touchdown drive by the Bears before Williams got into the end zone, it was a couple of really, really nice passes by Justin Fields. 
um, down the field. One of them went for 39 yards. Another one went for 25 yards. They were pinpoint passing. Um, so fields overall on the day, 11 of 17, 215 yards, only sacked once, just one time. He was sacked on the afternoon. And so they did a good job. Bill Lazor did a good job on his part, rolling him out. He threw a lot more on the run. And again, I don't know if Matt Nagy would have realized to do this himself, but thankfully Bill Lazor, who's the offensive coordinator, he was the one who put together the game plan. Yes, 1252 Sports Entertainment says it right. It was the Lazor show, no question about it. And it must have been really interesting up in Lake Forest earlier this week when I don't know if it was Monday of uh, this past week or Tuesday or Wednesday, but apparently all the, the brain trust, and I'm not talking just about the coaching staff, I'm also talking about a lot of the players who have cachet, and I'm told that Nick Foles was one of them, really laid it out. And they all got on their head coach, said, you know what, you cannot do this anymore. You can't be a head coach and call plays and try and have your head into the game as much as you think you can. And again, I think it panned out just the way it should today. 1252 Sports Entertainment. Matt Nagy couldn't call a pizza, let alone an offensive game. Well, hopefully if he's going to look for pizza, he's going to find a better place than Pizza Hut. Not one of my favorites, to be honest with you. Anyway, all right, so the Bears are 2-2. Two and two, And like I said, the NFL is a week-to-week league. There's no question about it. Um, again, it was gloom and doom last week. And then here, all of a sudden, they win today's game again against the stumble bums uh, in the Detroit Lions. And they're two and two overall. They're only looking up at one team that's Green Bay in the division. Minnesota lost and We'll go through the entire NFL in just a moment here. So they're one and three. And the Lions are 0 and four under their new head coach. The Lions haven't won a game since November of last year. That's how bad that franchise is. The Bears do have another opportunity against them. That'll be on Thanksgiving Day, of course, uh, in Detroit. The thing is, if you look at the Bears' schedule upcoming, they had to win today's game, by the way. They really did because their schedule upcoming is pretty murderous. They're at Las Vegas next Sunday, and I want to talk overall about next Sunday in just a couple of moments also. Then they got Green Bay here um, after that. Then they go to Tampa Bay, and they keep going back and forth on the road, here on the road, here on the road. They go, go to Tampa Bay against, uh, and I'm looking at the game right now, Tampa Bay is losing 7-3 to New England. Uh, Nick Shipkowski is coming up soon. That's good to know. Uh, then uh, they got San Francisco here. They go to Pittsburgh. Then they got Baltimore here. So, again, this is a murderous schedule. They are not going to be favored in any game unless something very strange happens until they face those stumble bums, the Detroit Lions, on Thanksgiving. So they had to win today's game. Now, talking about the defense, the defense was very good in certain situations. Once again, you got another quarterback sack from Robert Quinn. I don't know what's gotten into him from last year to this. I mean, this is the player that they thought they were going to get when they signed him to the deal that they did sign him to. And then unfortunately, last year, I don't know what it was with him. He was just awful last year. He's a good football player, and he's starting to show it like, you know, everything that everybody thought that he would be in a Bears uniform. Khalil Mack playing probably at 80, 85 percent of even that. He had another quarterback sack today. He had a fumble recovery, so he played very well. Now, one of the numbers that wasn't very good, and again, uh, this is something that they have to improve upon if they're going to beat some of the better teams on the upcoming schedule. Only one of eight in third down, so that is not exactly uh, something to write home about. 
But the lions, again, they are absolutely the medicine for all your ills. They, they, they turned the ball over a couple times. They made bad decisions, like I talked about, not kicking field goals. They had dumb penalties, which hurt them. So again, the Bears were fortunate in facing a team today, but you had to like what you saw from Justin Fields. It'll be really interesting, pending on health, of course, with Andy Dalton, who was inactive today, by the way. If Andy Dalton is healthy, like Matt Nagy says, you know, that's his quarterback. Um, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, um, let's go around the rest of the NFL right now. Cleveland beat Minnesota 14 to 7. So the Vikings are now one and three on the season. Green Bay fell, uh, fell down early to Pittsburgh, but the Steelers are just not the same team anymore. So Green Bay ended up winning as uh, Aaron Rodgers had a couple of touchdown passes. Green Bay beating Pittsburgh 27 17. And again, the Packers lead the NFC North at three and one. Buffalo. It's second shutout in three weeks against another garbage team in the Houston Texans, 40 to nothing. This game was so bad that Mitch Trubisky actually got into the game late in the game. He was through one pass. He completed it for what it's worth. Indianapolis, his first win on the season. They beat Miami 27 to seven. It was Dallas over Carolina, 36-28. Listen, the Cowboys, they can score points. They've done it two weeks in a row now. They have one of the best, if maybe not the best running backs in all of football, and Ezekiel Elliott. He had 143 yards on the ground today. Dak Prescott coming back from that injury, and I'll tell you what, he's been very impressive so far this season. He threw four touchdown passes. Of course, it was Pat Mahomes with not four, but five. He threw five touchdown passes. Kansas City said this was a must-win game today. There's Maryland talking about her New York teams. Go Giants. Yes, the Giants and the Jets first won their first games today. Ironically, both of them coming in overtime. But Patrick Mahomes had five touchdown passes. Kansas City beating Philadelphia 42-30. Washington with our good friend Ron Rivera. Uh, they moved to 2-2 two and two as they beat Atlanta on the road 34-30. The Giants, as Maryland just said, they won their first game. In overtime against New Orleans, 27-21, Saquon Barkley, another really good running back. He scored the game-winning touchdown from about eight yards out in the overtime session. The Jets got a field goal in overtime. They win their first game, beating Tennessee 27-24. Baltimore, and I think this was Harry Berg's lock of the day because I was on the show with him earlier this morning. He said his, this was his lock, and sure enough, it was. It was no contest. Baltimore beat Denver 23-7. Denver had won its previous three games. But they were against inferior competition, so Baltimore really took it to them earlier today. Uh, it was Arizona now moving to 4-0. This was a battle of unbeaten teams. Arizona beating the Rams 37-20. And the final game, Seattle over San, excuse me, Seattle over San Francisco, 28-21. So that's the wrap-up of the NFL. Like I said, the Bears play at Las Vegas next Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be really interesting. Because that Bears uh, Raiders game will be at three o'clock Chicago time. The White Sox, and we're going to talk much more in detail on the White Sox. They're going to play next Sunday. That'll be the game three of the American League Divisional Series, and it'll either you would think it'll be at probably either three or seven o'clock, one of the two times. So it's possible it could go up head to head with the Bears game, which will be interesting for TV purposes. But also, what's going on in the city next Sunday? is the marathon. I hate that dumb marathon because it clogs up everything. And if you're going to try and get to guaranteed rate field next Sunday, rots a ruck. And I'm going to be one of those suckers who's going to be snarling in traffic trying to get down to the ballpark. There's no good way around, unless anybody's got some wise idea. I mean, if you're going to go so far west and come back maybe east, 
I don't know, maybe that's a way of doing it. I'm not really sure. But traffic is going to be murder next Sunday. All right, talking about the White Sox. They lost the final regular season game today. They lost to the Tigers. Uh, the final score was 5-2. to two. The game meant absolutely nothing. The Sox finished the regular season with a record of 93-69. and 69. So it's been set for quite a while. It was finally finalized uh, that they will be the road team in the series at Houston and that'll start Thursday uh, and Friday down in Houston before they come back here for Game 3, as I mentioned, next Sunday, whether it'll be at 3 o'clock or 7 o'clock, that remains to be seen. But the White Sox finished up on the upswing. They won five of their last six games, not really against great competition, but I think they're ready for the postseason, and it'll all be about pitching. I don't care if they go against Houston or Boston or the Yankees or even Tampa Bay. It's all about pitching. And I'm going to guess, and I'm going to probably guess right, that the first three pitchers in this particular order will be uh, uh, Lance Lynn in Game 1 down in Houston on Thursday, uh, Lucas Giolito in Game 2 on Friday, uh, and then I think it'll be Carlos Rodon if he stays healthy. He did have that one uh, outing earlier this week. He went five innings. He uh, only allowed one hit in that five innings of work. I think they really just wanted to see how healthy that shoulder was. He wasn't throwing with great velocity. Normally, uh, earlier in the season, you've seen him go 99 or even 100 miles an hour. But on this particular day, I think he topped out at almost 93 miles an hour. So they're going to certainly monitor him over the next better part of a week before they have to decide if he goes a week from tomorrow. If they're, uh, yeah, a week from today, excuse me, a week from today would be game three. So they'll be monitoring him. The White Sox, what can you say about their season? They ran away and hid in their division. Obviously, they were the class of a really rotten division overall, but the Sox did earn the division uh, championship. Tim Anderson is turning out to be one of the best players in all of baseball. He ends up the season hitting 309. He had a couple more hits today. Jose Abreu, who uh, had 113 RBIs, he did win the RBI total, but he had, has had one magnificent season after another. And what can you say about Luis Robert? He is an absolute stud. And he's only 24 years old, and I think he's going to get better and better and better. Uh, we're still waiting for Nick to get in here. Uh, I think there's a little bit of a technical problem. And there he is. Talk about timing. I'm sorry, Nick. Did we keep you in the green room too long, buddy? Uh, no, no no such thing as too long there. I was enjoying your, your run through the NFL and then the crisis for David Schuster that we have to live through next weekend of how the heck is he going to get the guarantee rate field, whether it be a 3 o'clock start or 7 o'clock start, that damn marathon getting in your way. Everybody say hello to uh, Nick Shipkowski, who is the current managing editor of Fighting Irish Wire. Congratulations on that, Nick. And Thank Nick you. And I, Nick and I, of course, worked a long time together uh, at The Score. Um, Sports Radio 670, and we're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later on. But let me let me just catch you up. Uh, first of all, what are your thoughts on what you saw in the Bears game today? Because I know you were sitting at home and, and probably drinking a, a brew or two watching the game. I mean, it's a step in the right direction, right? Like, I think you put it right. The Lions are going to be the Lions. It's how many times did they offer that today? That was a Mike Glennon-type fumble. That was the first thing that I thought of was with, with the fumble that happened today. Was was it Glennon against the Packers in 2017 where he fumbles the thing, the snap off his foot that he kicks forward and whatever the heck that That was a play that came to mind for me. I was like, wow, this Lions thing. Seasons may change. The years on the calendar might change. But at the end of the day, the Lions are still the Lions, and they will hand things to you. And it's, it's what the doctor ordered. I, it, they couldn't have come on the schedule 
at a more perfect time um, with, with Justin Fields making his first start at home with an offensive line that has struggled to put it nicely, uh, getting to play against a defensive front that's anything but special with Detroit. And then a team that just, I, I don't know what the heck you're doing. Um, you don't kick the field goal the first time down the field. And then at the end of the game, you're sitting fourth and short. You need two scores. The game's over if you don't convert. Not only do you go forward on fourth down, you hurry up to go forward on fourth down and just all out of sorts. It's like you're just trying to get too cute and trying to outsmart the room. And I don't know what you're doing, but I, I, I guess as a Bears fan and observer, thank you. You know, I was thinking during the game here, the Lions are always the Lions, at least, you know, in my recent memory. And and obviously, they've changed quarterbacks. Their old quarterback, he goes out to Los Angeles. He's had a lot of success. You know, Goff had had some success in Los Angeles, but they didn't get him over the top. Now he's with the Lions. And, and basically, all they did was just, you know, take one quarterback from one situation and, you know, change places. The Lions aren't going to win. It's just a bad organization, top to bottom. And it has been. Oh, gosh. I mean, help me out, Nick, for probably at least three decades. Well, I mean, what? Barry Sanders, when he was, I mean, he's still young in the league when they won their only playoff game with him. He was probably in his third or fourth year. So 91-ish, somewhere in there. That's the last time they won a playoff game. That's three decades. Fucking 30 years. You haven't gotten past the wild card round in the NFL playoffs. Like, but by accident, that happens. The Browns have done it. The Bengals have done it. Some of the teams have gone on awful runs. Hell, the Bears have won an NFC and been back to the NFC championship a couple of times since then. Like, it's how do you just not fall into some dumb luck and put something together? Like, you have to be just completely, completely up as an organization. And I mean, you make your Mount Rushmore of worst run organizations in sports of the four major sports and. I, they're sitting right there for you to, to, to be George Washington on that monument. Yeah, they have. All right, what else What else impressed you or what else worries you? I mean, the, you know, unfortunately, um, and we don't. We won't know until at least tomorrow, maybe a couple days even after that, Montgomery went out with a knee injury. Again, the early report is it might be an MCL sprain, which is not season ending, but it could be two to four weeks if indeed that's what it is. Yeah, that's not good, obviously. Um, I mean, that was scary. The way he was holding his... I thought it was his groin. The way that he was kind of holding his leg, at least what they showed on TV, it looked like it was, I thought, groin. And I'm like, oh, that's one of those things that if he deals with that, it might only keep him out a couple of weeks, but it's going to be dealt with for the entire rest of the season. And you don't know if you're going to get him back anywhere near 100% for the rest of the year. So I guess it's kind of wait and see on that part of it. Um, Other takeaways are offensively, okay, you played against kind of like I said earlier, a weaker defensive line. You weren't playing against the the Browns outfit like last week. That was one of the better ones in the NFL and, and putting up some, uh, some all pro and pro bowl players against their defense. You didn't have that, but you did what you're supposed to do against them. And I think you have to at least feel good about that. I don't think anyone's going to go out there and anoint this bears offensive line is arriving, but you took care of business against a, a team and a defense that you should take care of business against. So I think that's, when you're starting where the Bears are starting at, like it's not just championship or bust or any of that. Like there are growing pains and there are some small victories you have to take along the way. And I think today was one of those small victories, especially for that unit. The other part that I think that that especially stands out, and I don't know what the Akeem Hicks injury ends up being and how long he's going to be out, but obviously he's an incredibly valuable part of that defense. Um, I think he gets. I, Forgotten about is too strong to put it, but it gets swept away with because of the money that Khalil Mack makes and the stardom that he brings, that how important of a defender he is. And 
I don't know how long he'll be out. Obviously, it's problematic if it's for any extended amount of time. We saw that a couple of years ago. It was it 2019 when he got hurt in the game in London against the Raiders, and he was out for a while, and the defense just immediately fell off without him. That's where the – not that they play the same position, but that's where Robert Quinn has had a solid first few weeks of the season. Another, another sack today, another big play today, and – that's where he's got to really earn that paycheck, especially if Hicks is going to be out for any amount of time. You need playmakers on that defensive front. You need somebody to help out Khalil Mack. And so far, you've had to have at least liked what you've seen from him, especially compared to the disastrous 2020 season that he had. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Quinn specifically because, I mean, there are some things that are just unexplainable, and he's one of them. Why was he so terrible last year? I mean, he was awful last year. It's weird. Like, I, and, it's... And now here, here, this is the guy that they, you know, and he said he wasn't injured last year. Yeah, I, I don't really understand it. Like, I, I think it's one of those things you can kind of search for an explanation all day, all night, whatever it is, and not come up with anything. I guess you have good runs at work, you have bad runs at work, you're allowed that. It's just bizarre to be how good he was for the most of his career, how bad he suddenly was for a year, and then seemingly, I don't know if he's at the same level that he was like when he was with Dallas and starring there and with, with the Rams. Um, pretty solid player all of a sudden again, and it, it's one of those you look at it and, okay, they're two and two, but he's made a couple of big plays in both of the wins so far this year, and it's all oh, well without him. This might have been a one and three type of thing or, dear God, an 0 and four situation. Yeah, I didn't hear Eddie Goldman's name too much, if at all, today. You know, listen, they don't announce all the uh, plays, tackles by everybody up in the press box. But listen, as long as he's healthy and he's clogging up that middle and these linebackers can clean up, I guess he's doing his job then, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's exactly like you said right there. It's the kind of position that you don't always get the praise and the love because you're taking on double teams. You're just trying to disrupt things and open something up for somebody else to to get the sack or to make the tackle and and this and that. And it, it, I the Lions weren't like running the ball at will. They weren't. I, I Goff was pressured very regularly throughout the game. Uh, I thought that got regular pressure on him. I don't know what the heck happened where he decided to turn into a quarterback there for a quarter and a half coming out of the coming out of halftime because he looked awful for the first half. My goodness. Uh, that was disastrous performance by him in the first half there. Uh, fumble. He couldn't complete a pass even when he was not kicking the ball off of his foot. Um, but he came alive there. But I think the defensive front, I mean, that was – as good as advertised, and that's what it's going to need to be. Because uh, I, I still, as nice as it was to see the offense have their success today, I don't think it's going to be one that you're thinking, all right, they're going to be able to go blow for blow with some of the other offenses in the league. Defense is going to have to bail them out a lot more this year than, than you probably would like. All right. Again, we're talking with Nick Strakowski. Of course, I worked a long time with at the score. He's the managing editor at Fighting Irish Wire. We're going to walk down memory lane in just a couple of minutes. And I have some specifically tailored trivia questions. Oh, Nick boy. Is, Nick is as good as there is out there. You truly, truly is, and he's proven it. That'll be our walk down memory lane segment, Nick. You knew it. Oh, boy. I think and I know what's coming. Yeah, so we'll get to that in just a little bit. Well, one last thing on the Bears, and I think you'll laugh when I say this. You always like to go screaming at your boss, okay? Or sometimes they needlessly come screaming at you. Yeah, well, that's happened more than once, a thousand times. But anyway, you like to scream at your boss if you can. And apparently that's what must have happened up at Hallis Hall this past week because I'm told that they all, 
I don't know how malicious, it probably wasn't malicious at all. It was probably, you know, constructive. But apparently, that you know, a lot of people, players and staff, told Matt Nagy, you can't call plays anymore. They did it in a constructive manner, apparently. And he finally caved in and said, okay, you're right. I can't. I will be the game manager, which is what a head coach should be during uh, the 12 to 3 on a Sunday. But I'm not going to call plays. And you know what? For at least one Sunday, it panned out. Yeah, it panned out. I, You're a big movie guy. What I thought of when I heard that being the case was the scene in Varsity Blues when <laughs> Bud Kilmer wants to put the shot in the running back's knee and all the team comes in, don't put that shot in your knee, don't put that shot in your knee, and they decide they're not going to play for him in the second half, and Bud has to go and pack up his offense, and then uh, Lance Harbor is calling the plays with a broken leg on the sideline, and they're running five wide, and they take the play calling and the coaching responsibilities away from the head coach. That was what was going through my head. It was like, I'm going to see this playing out at Hallis Hall of Matt Nagy being confronted by Nick Foles because Nick Foles is looking at him like he's a fool. And I, listen, I – how many guys are there that are great head coach, great play caller, and can handle all of that? I don't necessarily know. It's it's that it's that huge of a knock necessarily on Matt Nagy that he's not capable of doing it. Um, I, I think it's some people. A head coach has to be first and foremost. You have to be able to manage a whole team, a whole roster, a whole game, and play calling is that taking away, taking away significantly, perhaps at the way the rest of the game is being run or operations are being run. Well, I know it's the Lions, and we can sit and make fun of the Lions, but it looked like a competent NFL offense today. It sure as heck didn't last week. I don't think that's just a coincidence that there was improvement there. I don't think it's. I don't think you can just look at it and say, "Oh, it's just because you're playing the Lions, you were able to take care of business, and you look better." I think there's. I think there's a little, a uh, little more fire to that smoke. Well, offensively, if nothing else, Bill Lazor uh, played to the team's offensive strengths and stayed away from their weaknesses. And listen, that's what a good play caller is supposed to do. I mean, they ran Montgomery left, right, and up the middle of the first series, as I alluded to. And they had, and he didn't throw the ball that often, but when he did, at least early in the game, Fields was doing it on the run. He wasn't sitting back in the pocket. So they stayed away with that terrible offensive line in general. So yeah, it was it was a competent football team today. One last thing on the Bears before we move on. 4,500 no-shows today. And I'm just thinking, did all of them get stuck in downtown Arlington Heights <laughs> looking for the stadium? We're like, where the hell were they today? Yeah, exactly. They were all sitting at Armand's waiting for a pizza or what <laughs> waiting for their, their their drinks to be refilled this morning at one of the bars. Now I that is surprising because it's it's I know the weather was supposed to be what a weird weather day. Like I was talking to a couple of buddies of just saying like, this feels like spring where you get told it's going to do one thing for a couple of days. Oh, it's going to rain like all hell. It's going to rain like all hell. Noon comes where it's the skies are supposed to just open up and nothing to be found, nothing to be found. And maybe that had something to do with it, I guess, but I'm talking about a 75, 80 degree day in the first weekend of October. Bears are one and two. It's not like they're one in 12. Like it, it seems significant. Like, really? That's how many people already aren't showing up? That seems a little bit extreme. It was really strange. Um, all right. Uh, your thoughts on the White Sox as they go into this uh, playoff series against Houston and your thoughts on the Cubs uh, whose season, hey, the, if nothing else, the Cubs ended the season on a two-game win streak. Unfortunately, it doesn't carry over till next year, but they finished on a two-game win streak. Yeah, maybe they cooled the Cardinals down enough so the Cardinals don't go to L.A. and win the wild card game. I Speaking of, I mean, not that I'm necessarily a Cardinal backer, but I, 
hard, hard not to root for them to knock off the Dodgers in a one-game playoff, isn't it? I think like, everybody. I think everybody in baseball is rooting for the oh, Cardinals in that game. It's, it's sort of unfair. I've been talking about this now for three weeks. The Cardinals won the 17 games in a row. They could have potentially, you know, ran this, the table for 21 or 22 to end the season. And what do they get for all that? One game against Max Scherzer in Dodger Stadium. Doesn't seem very fair, but it is what it is. Yeah, and I guess the Dodger side of that is you look at it and had this great season. You just happen to be in the same division of the uh, Giants that weren't expected to be any great shakes by anyone and go out and win, what was 105, 106 game, whatever it was. It's a ton. They played great. They're playing great and seem as good as anyone in baseball right now. So, yeah, I... I wouldn't necessarily, not that I usually am putting on a Cardinals hat or celebrating Cardinals successes, but I don't think anyone outside of Los Angeles would be hurting too badly if the Dodgers were knocked out in that wild card game. But for the Sox, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I, You turn into America's team for at least your opening round in this. You get to go against the bad boys of baseball and the Houston Astros, and I think the country's going to be rooting for the White Sox in this one. It comes down to just the playoff baseball it comes down to do you get outs can the starting pitching staff do what it has done can the bullpen like it was built to be made can it perform at that level for the postseason i know that when kimbrell came over um bullpen started to have a little it didn't just take off and everything didn't just go flowing and didn't go great necessarily can that be righted at the right time of the year i they ran away with the division um, not to say they weren't playing important baseball. They were still playing well. They weren't playing necessarily like in the pressure cooker of losing a divisional lead or anything like that. So can they keep that pace? Can they keep that foot on the gas against the Astros? I mean, I like their chances against it. I, Dusty Baker's done a heck of a job. And it's like he can separate everything that went on with Houston and Alex Bregman and the stealing signs and everything that drives baseball fans crazy and why you don't like the Astros. And I know Dusty Baker ticked off a lot of people in this town by the way that he managed thing and made excuses for some things and, and whatnot. The guy wins a division with every team he goes to. And some of what he had to go through with this Astros, it, it takes like we were just talking about with Matt Nagy. And in order to be a head coach in one of these positions, you have to be a great manager of people. When you're inheriting that Astro situation, when you're a team that all of a sudden becomes the biggest villains in all of baseball, every game you play, you're going to be out there and have things yelled at you from fans that are at a different level and pretty much just you have to embrace being hated. It doesn't take – it. not just anyone can walk in and, okay, well, the computer says this, make, make this lineup and make this work. Like Dusty Baker did a heck of a job with that team uh, the last two years now, and I don't – I know we live in the analytical age and managers don't matter and this and that and the other. Like, the guy deserves some praise. As much as I don't like to throw at Houston's way, the guy deserves some praise. But, yeah, can the, can the White Sox bats perform in October the way that they have? I, traditionally in October, it comes down to pitching. Do the White Sox have enough? Does it stay healthy enough? I mean, if the answer to that question is yes, if they get strong performances from their starting pitching and their bullpen pays up, plays up to the level that it can, I – I don't want to say the, they're the AL favorite, but who's unbeatable in the AL? Do you really Nobody. think that the Rays necessarily are? You think that the winner of the Red Sox and the um, and the Yankees playing game are? No. I, the Sox are as capable as anyone to win in this league and, and win in the pennant. Nobody is unbeatable in the American League, and that's why I think a lot of people, including myself, are rooting for the Dodgers to lose that wild card game because if they get into a best of five or a best of seven – they have the major advantage over everybody. Their number three guy is the only 20-game winner in baseball, 
Uh, I don't know what Kershaw's status is going to be. It might not be good. Uh, he said when he came out of the game the other day that he, he didn't know how bad that injury was. So uh, that knocked them down a peg. But the Dodgers are the team that everybody wants this season. And, and listen, they're they're the Yankees of the West Coast, obviously. They're, they have the inflated payroll, yada, yada, yada. So I am rooting. It's funny. I'm rooting for the Cardinals, and I can't believe I ever said that. And I'm going to root for the White Sox, obviously, for, you know, the series jadedly uh, for my own purposes, much less being sure. a White Sox fan. But if by chance Houston ends up winning that series, if, I'm going to root for Dusty Baker because he is one of the all-time good guys. Yeah, and I, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that he just, where he goes, teams won. Now, did things maybe grow stale and grow tired? Okay, that happens. But he won everywhere he went in his baseball career. And you can't say that to, to the vast majority. Vast majority of managers don't win anywhere, let alone four or five places like he's done. Yeah, he's the Zsa, Zsa Gabor of major league managers. You know, you know, after a while, the teams get tired of him. He gets tired of them. It's like, you know, getting you know, rid of your husband or wife or whatever after a while, divorce-wise, only divorce-wise, and, <laughs> just, and just moving on from there. Um, all right, uh, before anything else, I mean, Notre Dame lost yesterday's game. I was a little surprised by that. I really thought that they would win that game. So either they didn't play up to snuff or Cincinnati's even better than I thought. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, Cincinnati's defense, thats you get a couple of guys in their secondary that are going to be playing on Sundays and making a lot of money on Sundays before too long. So that that had um big effect at Notre Dame's receivers. It For guys that are supposed to be talented and supposed to be an uptick in their talent level, they weren't able to win those kind of position battles and win one-on-one battles. And that obviously came back to, to bite Notre Dame yesterday. And it was also just some self-inflicted stupidity of some of the turnovers that they had. They marched down. You couldn't ask for a better opening drive. They even get a fourth and 10 that they go for and convert. They get inside the 10-yard line. And Jack Cohn, the fifth-year starting quarterback, the transfer from Wisconsin, the graduate senior, throws a pass under pressure that you would think like, all right, well, if there's a sophomore in high school making one of his first starts, I guess that's excusable, but that's just, you don't ever throw that pass, especially for a guy that um, has as much experience that he has. That one was unacceptable. They finally get something going with their backup quarterback, Drew Pine, that kind of came in and saved the day against Wisconsin last week. He drives down to start the second half, gets them at the 35 yard line of Cincinnati. Looks like they're about to score. And for whatever reason, they bring in the other quarterback that can run more and Tyler Buckner. Oh, take throw him in at first down. And here comes an obvious run play. Gets stuffed at the line of scrimmage or sitting second and 10. And then it's like, well, you have this guy that's been sitting the entire first half. Why, when he starts to get hot and find a rhythm, you take him off the field? It's not a surprise to me that that's the draw, that's the drive immediately stalled. Yeah, so there were some issues there. I thought that, I mean, in terms of talent, that I Cincinnati is very good. I don't want to sell anything short for Cincinnati. And they go and run the table. They have a case. I they certainly belong in the college football playoff. They go and schedule Indiana, who had a strong year last year. They win at Notre Dame. They run the table in this. Yes, they deserve to have a chance at this. But i that's not to take anything away from Cincinnati. But there was a lot of self-inflicted stupidity from Notre Dame yesterday that I don't want to say they just handed the game, but that was not a fine performance whatsoever. All right. Uh, for those who don't know, um, tell us what you do for the Fighting Irish Wire. You are the managing editor, of course, and, and how they can either see your work or even subscribe to uh, that publication. 
Yeah, so it's all run through the USA Today, so they have a different, um, so whether you're a Notre Dame fan or really a fan of any of the premier college football teams, um, there's 18 different sites up and going now, everything from Alabama, LSU, Georgia, um, USC, Ohio State, Michigan for Midwest fans, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State, um, 18 different sites, though, that are just geared towards those teams specifically and it's anything and everything that goes on throughout the year so it can be the heart of football season like it is right now it can be in the middle of april whatever it may be things are running all year long at all of those sites so really it's just uh, fightingirishwire.com you can find all of my work there and that's what i'm doing managing editing and trying to trying to figure out what the heck some of the decisions are made for <laughs> yeah. So in other, words, in other words, are you a boss? Is that what you're saying? I yeah, I guess so. I in a way. Oh man, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Yes. In a way, yes. <laughs> um, all right, you mentioned Alabama. One last thing on college football before we get to our walk down memory lane segment and stump the chef. That's the that's the okay. segment today. But uh, you mentioned Alabama, and listen, I view Alabama like I viewed the Dodgers. I just want them to lose so bad because I am so sick of their head coach and, and their whole program. And Georgia looks like the real McCoy. I mean, Georgia's just steamrolling everybody. So I'm hoping if they face each other, and I don't know if they're on each other's schedule or if it comes in the conference uh, final or championship, can Georgia beat them? And can anybody beat Alabama? Anybody. I don't care who it is. I think Georgia's the only team that can. Like, it's Alabama might be here. Georgia might be here. And whoever you want to call number three, which could be a wide array of teams, is – out of the picture down here right like it's it's those two and it is a significant gap between everybody else and i i i don't know if i love the college football playoff because what it's done is i haven't argued at all at the end of the year yep the best team holds the trophy and the best team ends up being the champion but it makes it seem like somebody scratches and claws to get in a 10 win or an 11 and one season and then they meet Alabama and the college football playoff, they lose by 30 and it turns it, oh, well, that team's no damn good. Well, you don't win that many games by being no damn good. You just happen to kind of run into what is just an absolute dynasty. And maybe there's a team a year that can can knock them off. I think Georgia is that team that could if things fall right for them. I mean, things did go right for Georgia in the sense that they're off the regular season schedule. They'd play Alabama in the conference championship. Even if they lose in the conference championship, you would think that Alabama, who I know Clemson's looking worse by the week, but beat Clemson in week one of the season, uh, steamrolled a top 10 Arkansas team yesterday, you would think that a one-loss Georgia team would still be able to get in and get a second chance at that. Right. I agree with you on that. Um, all right. Let's do our walk down memory lane okay. segment. I mentioned that you are as good as anybody I've ever known when it comes to sports trivia off the top of your head, you don't have to go look up anything on Google or, or, you know, Siri or whatever else. And the all time classic, and I'm not picking on less here, but I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to, this is just the fact the time on the afternoon show where you and Les went at it in a jeopardy type, uh, um, you know, uh, showdown, if you will. And the final score was, and I looked this up to be honest with you, Nick, you, oh, had, man. you had 4,300 points and Les had minus 2,300 Ooh, boy. And I was in my car and I, I was I tried hard not to laugh, but I sort of was because when Les didn't know the answer, he would, you know, this, he would expound on something else to try and make himself look good for not knowing the answer to the question. What was that whole experience like that afternoon? And what was the after effect? 
I'll tell you, I was nervous, honestly. Wow. Like, it was one of those things of, I, I remember that part of it being like, I was honestly nervous. I'm like, God, God, I talk, I'm talking to Bernstein beforehand. I'm like, yeah, Les is coming in at whatever time it was. He's going to be in studio. We're doing this. I'm like, I, I don't know what they're going to ask. If it's stuff from, like, the Cubs of the 60s or whatever, he's going to kill me. He's going to destroy me. And I don't even remember. I remember some, one of the categories was stadiums because he had a whole thought-out thing about the Bell Center in Montreal, and that turned into something, and the sponsorship of the building or something had changed, and it turned into a less argument for, like, five minutes about, yeah, but it's this, but it's this. No, it's not less. But I don't even remember the necessarily the context of the question, but it was, like, perfect grabber example of him not taking no for an answer and no the facts right in front of you but it was i i had like i was honestly nervous that i was going to embarrass myself and then at some point in there i think after like two or three questions and i started getting a little bit of confidence like okay we're rolling nothing to be nervous about and then i'm sure that once that started to go that way and then things started to go south for less too as well but it was fun i mean, it was i i'll say that for less he will do anything for Hey, you want to come on and do this of the show? Yes. Always yeah. willing to help. Like it's yeah, incredible. He, like there is yeah, nothing but good things to say about him for that. Yeah, Les is a good guy. And, and I'm not trying to make fun of him, but to be honest with you, that was like uh, when Mike Tyson knocked out Michael Spinks in 91 oh, seconds. Man. Yeah. <laughs> it should have been yeah, it should have been like if the I don't know, the official probably should have jumped in at like 41 seconds instead of letting it go to 91 seconds that's kind of what that one was like too <laughs> all right well we're gonna you know and and listen no pressure you're not going up okay but don't break out in hives here but now we're gonna do our own trivia questions here. well i do i don't know if you heard it the one time on the afternoon show when james holzhauer was on his run on jeopardy we everyone was trying to get interviews with him and no one could get an interview no one could get an interview so i proposed him coming on to play a trivia segment where we do a sports Jeopardy thing. And I invited Chris Kamka from was and now it's NBC sports Chicago. Cause he's the baseball historian that knows every number from Honus Wagner on to Albert Pujols and today and everything. And ended up getting to the point where I lost to James Holtower because they asked what date the Cubs won the world series and I said it was November 3rd because it was after midnight in Cleveland where it took place. They said November 2nd. James got the win. I didn't get him, so I didn't get to knock off the all-time Jeopardy champion. Jerks. Yeah. Well, Mother Nature made it go to the next day because it decided to rain. And, of course, an extra inning game for me in the World Series. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> a World Series that goes seven games, too. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Although it was a beautiful, I mean, it was 80 degrees of game six and seven in November, of all things. Right. That was something else. All right, anyway, let's do these questions. These are stump the chef questions. Some are, I'm going to be honest with you, some you probably won't know because I might be going too far back, so I apologize. That's okay. In advance. But this one's not super far back. Can you tell me the last Cub to lead the National League in batting average? In batting average would have been Derek Lee. There you go. See, I told you he's really five. Uh, it was uh, in 2005. Very good. Derek Lee led the uh, National League in batting average, hitting 335. Yeah, Very batting good. averages don't matter anymore, though. That's what we're no. always told. That was a ridiculous. He almost, Pujols ended up winning the um, home run title that year. He 
Derek Lee made a real run at a triple crown that season. 100%. I looked it up, and he was really close in all three categories. 100% on that one. All right, this one may or may not be too far back. Unfortunately, it's embedded in my brain because I was at these games. 1984, when the Cubs won the first two games against San Diego, then went out there and lost the last three. And, of course, Leon Durham had that big boo-boo at, in, at first base. And it's funny because he made fun of uh, – Bill Bar, let's see, no, Bill Buckner made fun of him. And then Buckner, a couple of years later, oops, <laughs> karma or whatever. <laughs> All right. So uh, they won the first two games, 13 nothing and 4 to 2. Then they lost the next three games. Who are the losing pitchers for the Cubs in those three games? Oh, the man. Game? Sutcliffe had to have lost one. That is correct. Um, I don't know what game it would have been that he lost. The last the, one. Was it, was it game five? Yeah. It had to have been. Game four was was which one was the home run the late home run by um oh god Steve it Garvey was, it, it was game four and game so, four it had to have been a reliever then that got the loss in that who was it because Garvey hit the homer was it the eighth inning who was their closer who was their closer that year it wasn't Mitch Williams that that was in the eighty nine think Hall of Fame eighty oh um Cardinal uh no not 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 Bruce Suter not Bruce Suter no. Lee Smith? It was Lee Smith. That was Lee Smith. Oh, my goodness. Lee Smith that who was gave Lee up Smith that whole run. Yeah, you're – oh, my God. Yeah, that and, – And the game three loser um, was a former reliever and starter. I mean, he's one of the all-timers, uh, along with John Smoltz, who had success at both starting and relieving. This should be really easy for me, and I'm overthinking it. Who was it? Dennis Eckersley. Dennis Eckersley. Oh, yeah, of course. Duh. So yeah, th those three games. Ooh, boy, those three games are still of, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. That yeah, you get hit with the losses on that, and a Cy Young winner from that year, you get hit with the losses on. That's a that's a tough run. All right, this next one, and you're right. I, you said earlier I'm a movie buff, but I wouldn't have known this one. I know sort of this one, but Shaquille O'Neal, Shaquille O'Neal, great basketball player. He's also been in a lot of movies. Do you know what the first three movies that he were in? What was the Kazam was one That's of them. One. I was a kid when Kazam came out. That thing That's was one. Other movies has Shaq been in? He's I remember Kazam because it was awful. It was oh, like, oh, Shaq said this would be cool. Oh, <laughs> Ran it oh, for oh, no. BBC was in were awful. Terrible. <laughs> Good God. Of course, I was in fifth grade when Space Jam came out, and I thought that was great when I saw it the first time too. <laughs> um, God, what else was Shaq in movie wise? Oh, Blue Chips. Blue, Blue chips, chips is the was, other one. Yeah. Very good. Very good, Blue Nick. Chips, that's a that's a fun one. Um, with Bobby Hurley's playing for Indiana and yeah. Matt Nover, I think yeah. was the guy's yeah. name that was the yeah. getting the tractor from coat. Oh, who what else was Shaq in? Blue chips. He had the video game that was like what was the name of it? I don't know if there was a movie that was based off. It was like Shaq Fu or something. It's so ridiculous. Again, he was in like he's been he's made like a lot of cameos in like eight or nine movies. But I'll give you the last one because I don't even know what this movie was. Something called Steel. S I'm not sure. It sounds like something like that Shaq would be in, like when he started calling himself the Diesel or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I have no idea about uh, but, but about, very about Steel. But I was going to say, very good. You still got blue chips and Kazam, and those are the two ones that mostly, if if anybody wants to remember his cinematic uh, 
you know, uh, time, those are the two that you think of. Well, I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you read biographies much. Uh, Shaq's was interesting. I enjoyed his autobiography. He tells a story in there his rookie year. I mean, he's been, he gets notoriety because he was a freak, seven one, seven two, did athletic things that seven foot people aren't normally capable of doing was a lot bigger than the other seven footers that you remember. Obviously wasn't like the build of like a Sean Bradley or some of the other ball time, big guys in NBA history, but he has a story in there of when he's in his rookie year, he was very big into investing his money. So one of the mm-hmm. things he did was invest in a ton of car washes in Florida, in Orlando, in an Orlando area. And he just loved the idea of, he didn't come from means, so he loved the idea of being around money. Didn't necessarily want to spend the money, but loved the idea of being like, I didn't, I've never had this. I just want to have money. And so he has taken the quarters out of all these different car washes that he had, the vacuums and the self-serve places, and he literally, literally just had dozens and dozens and dozens of water jugs full of quarters. I'm talking hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars. And one of his financial people come to him and you're like, Shaq, you're missing $300,000. Like it is unaccounted for. Where is it? And he's like, oh, it's just in quarters in my bedroom. I like to look at it. <laughs> what kind of big damn goof are you? <laughs> you know, it's funny, Nick. I didn't know if I had anything in common with Shaquille O'Neal, but I do. Because yeah. I, I keep all my coins in one of those you know, giant water bottles also. Yeah. And it's like, really, like of all things, that's what you decide to do. Okay. Okay. And actually I do one thing better than Shaq. I can shoot free throws. He can't. There you go. Now you're talking. (laughs) All right. uh, Still staying with Notre Dame and movies. One of the famous Notre Dame movies, of course, is Rudy. Famous true story, of course. What's his real name? Daniel. Daniel Rudiger. That is correct. That is correct. See? There you go. Julia Catholic's finest. Absolutely. All right. How about this one? Uh, Notre Dame has won overall 13 national championships in football. Now that's, you know, not only the NCAA, but, you know, AP and something called uh, the FWAA. I guess that's Football Writers Association of America. Okay. So they've won 13, but there's a leader overall in collegiate football. Somebody has won 18. Who? It's got to be Alabama. It's not, actually. In all of collegiate, it's not Alabama. I would have bet my right arm that it was Alabama. Um, I told you this might be going a little – matter of fact, this is going way far back. So is this going to be like one of those – like an Ivy League school that won a ton yes. right off the bat? Yes. Y- Yale was the power Ivy, right? It there is right. Yale. I feel like I remember. Yale won. Yale won. 18 football championships, 14 of them coming before the turn of two centuries ago, 1900. (laughs) And so, yeah, again, I don't even know what some of these championships were, but Yale did win 18. I think Alabama is second with 16. Obviously, everybody's going to think Alabama because they've won so many recently, but the correct answer is Yale. Absolutely. Yeah, I would not have had that one. Obviously, I didn't have that one. All right, two more. Okay. And I'm only asking this one because I just finished watching the four-part series on Muhammad Ali. And if you haven't seen that or anybody, I highly recommend it because it's really good stuff. And I learned some stuff. I thought I knew everything about Muhammad Ali, but I did. All right, so in 96, Ali ended up lighting the torch for the Olympic flame, you know, and that's a very famous scene that everybody remembers. But 
what, what people thought was the person who was running last, who was going to light it, handed the torch to him to then light the Olympic flame. Who was that famous athlete who handed him the torch, who ran around the track and then handed him the torch to light the flame? Remember Janet Evans. There you go. Started it. it. Janet yeah. Evans. Yeah. I was going to say, because I thought, I don't know if she ran it into the stadium, but or Evander Holyfield was involved in some way at some point, and then Janet Evans and then to Ali, because Janet Evans was Janet Evans was also the one when the bombing happened. Yeah. When the when the bomb went off, she was the one that was in the whatever she was being interviewed by whichever outlet it was. And, and that was like the thing. famous video of like, oh my God, what just happened? Quite See, quite quite the Olympics and then took home a couple of medals too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, she she was fantastic, obviously, in the pool. I, I don't know. I think she won two gold medals, maybe, in those games. I'm not really sure. Anyway, you didn't let anybody down. You got all these questions. I got one more for you, okay. though. The last afternoon show that you did, I believe, was Danny Mack and Danny Parkins. Where did they both go to high school? Well, Danny Mack went to Highland, Indiana, Highland, Indiana High School. That's oh, and great. Parkins, he'll tell you every day, new Trier. There you go. Yeah, they'll have it right there for you. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Parkins, New Tree or High School, yeah. Illinois. I told I told everybody, including yourself. I and I know you weren't nervous about these questions, but you guys, <laughs> I think you got them all. I think I, uh, well, I, I worked into the Yale one. I got to the Yale one and the Hall of Fame one. I don't know. I should have known Dennis Eckersley, and I don't know why I could. I blanked on Lee Smith. Okay, there. even even on the ones where you get uh, there was three answers to that one. You got two out of three in the stupid Shaquille O'Neal movies. He got the two main <laughs> ones. So, congratulations, man, and congratulations on everything else. I know you. How's your little baby? Your little baby's not such a little baby anymore. I know she's gonna be two at the end of the month. It's crazy. Um, she is. It's it, she's at the point where she's just so observant about everything. And starting to kind of put words together a little bit more than just mama, dad, dad, starting to put two or three words together and just how quickly she picks up on things. It's like, Hey, you sit there and you, know, you just pick your nose or something like you, you do just out of normal. And you look over and you're like, what? Don't do that. Like who taught you to do that? You're like, you just watch me do it. God, don't. Oh man. She just, she, she picks up on everything and she just adds it's unreal how happy of just this, the pure joy and happiness at any point come home from work and dad, 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 sprint to the door. It's like, okay, whatever the heck I was stressed about six minutes ago really doesn't matter right now. This is awesome. Well, make sure you and your bride uh, keep her out of radio. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're not kidding. Hey, Nick, continued success. I really appreciate you joining me here today, and we'll do it again down the road if, if you're Absolutely. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate the invites. I, I definitely do. I always appreciate what you were willing to do for me in my career, and didn't matter how young that I was and how inexperienced I was, you treated me like you treated anyone else in a press box and anyone else producer-wise and host-wise that you worked with the same. So I, I, I'm always, I, always grateful for that. Yeah, well, you're a good dude, and you prove it on a daily basis. Hey, hang on here for a second. We're going to wrap up this podcast, but hang on. I want to just talk okay. a little bit more. So to everybody who's been listening, I appreciate you listening and tuning in, and we'll be back shortly down the road. Have a nice night, everybody.